This week on Empowering Midlife Wellness, I'm talking about one of the breakout sessions that I had at our recent Empowering Midlife Wellness Retreat, which was about having the best sex of your life after 50, and it may be in some ways that surprise you. Hi, friends, and welcome to this week's episode. You know, I took a week off last week because we had the first Empowering Midlife Wellness Retreat this past weekend. I just got back and still kind of buzzing from excitement, but one of the breakout sessions that I hosted was about a topic that I just wanted to chat about today a little bit because it was really well received, and it might not be exactly what you might think when you hear about the title, Best Sex Starts at 50. That's a tall order, right? And that might just not be true for you right now, but I'm throwing it out there kind of as an aspiration, and it's certainly been my experience and the experience of many of the other women in the group that this actually is a possibility. So if it's something that you're interested in, you might be surprised in some of the ways to get there. So going back to the study that I did, this was actually, you know, few years ago now that led to the book that I wrote called Sexually Woke. We looked into this exact subject about why some women experience sex to be better in midlife and beyond and why, frankly, most don't. And not to be depressing, but in my study, over 90% of women over 45 did not have a great relationship with sex. But the good news is there was a percentage that did. And so I've talked about this before, but just as a recap, I interviewed those women very deeply and found some of the things that they shared in common because I wanted to know what they had so that I could do it myself and then maybe teach it. So going back to the what I called secrets of the sexually woke, they were things that really had nothing to do with sex toys or fantasies or any of those things, although I will talk to you about those as well because those are super important. But as a foundation to have a great sex life, these things seem to be the most important. And they were, number one, having an attitude of being open to possibility. So all of the women in this group that I interviewed and also shared with the women at the retreat, because let's just say if we're at the retreat, we were already in a state of being open to possibility. So that being said, with a mind state of being open to the possibility that the second half of life actually can be a place of learning and growing and curiosity and experimentation and all of those things that have an openness to them, even with the hand gesture that I'm making, without that mind state, everything else doesn't really work, right? So number one, starting with an attitude of being open to possibility or having curiosity is very important. Uh, the second thing they all shared was having a very high level of self-awareness. They were very much in touch with the way their minds worked. They'd learned to have conscious conversations. They'd also learned about their bodies. And so part of knowing yourself when we're talking about sexuality is knowing what you like and learning how to communicate that. So it sounds pretty basic, but I'm starting with the basics here. So an attitude of openness, knowing yourself, including your own body and how to communicate that. And then the third one was that they paid attention, which I think of as where you choose to put your mind. They paid attention to their relationship and little tiny things like paying attention to saying hello and goodbye in a very mindful way, paying attention to what your partner wants, little tiny things that don't cost any money, and then intention, which is slightly different, setting intentions every day about what you want for the relationship and then reminding yourself every day about those. Okay, so with that foundation, 
which is all a mind state, right? A foundation of being open to possibility, that curious mind state, a practice of self-awareness and really knowing our own body and how to communicate what we want, and then paying attention and being intentional about it with that as a foundation, then we could move into, you know, what are the actual practices that we can do to have the best sex after 50? Because those are really important, but they don't really work unless we have that foundation first. Does that make sense? So all of that about the foundation is in my book, Sexually Woke, but we had some conversations about some actual things that you can do once you've got that covered. So some of the fun, there were so many things that came up, but some of the fun things that came up, and it wasn't just me teaching the class. I mean, I'm talking and it was a conversation. So I was able to hear what worked for other people and we were able to share some of those ideas. But just going back to the very basics, couples who talk more about sex have better sex. That's just a fact. It's been shown in many, many studies. So we have to have those conversations. And what I found was in many relationships, especially if they've been long-term relationships, that conversation can kind of become an elephant in the room. I mean, if you haven't talked about sex for 10 or 15 or 20 years, how do I bring it up now? That would seem kind of weird, right? It, it does. It, it requires making a change. And so not to be sexist, but if you're in a heterosexual relationship, there's a very good chance that the person who's going to start that conversation is you. <laughs> not always, and again, I don't mean to be sexist, but frequently women are more comfortable being vulnerable about these kind of conversations. So if it's going to change, somebody has to go first, and we have to decide that it's going to be me to go first if we want that conversation to start. So there were some really good ways to start a conscious conversation about wanting our sex life to be more connected. Always start with the positive. For example, you know, honey, I love you. I really want to stay connected with you. I'd love to talk more about our sex life. Not necessarily making it better, which has the assumption that there's something wrong, but just opening the conversation that you'd like to talk about it. And another really important thing is to add, is this a good time to have this conversation? Because just because you feel like it's a good time to have the conversation doesn't mean your partner is ready to hear it. So those are some tips. Start with the positives and then ask permission for whether this is a good time. Once you've started the conversation, assuming you've been given permission, start with what is working. I love it when you do X. You know, here's the thing that happens. Maybe you've been in a relationship for a long time and what he's doing sexually, you don't like it and you haven't said it all this time. So maybe he's been doing that thing that you don't like all these years and it's very difficult to say that now. But the way to get around that is in a positive way. You know, I love it when you do this. Could we do more of this other thing? Because many of us have fallen into a trap, and no judgment, I've done it too, that if there's something that we don't like and we just want to get over with, we have two choices. Either we say something which could be negatively perceived and we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, or we fake it. And I don't recommend the latter for a couple of reasons. One is that it's going to reinforce that this is something that you like, and he's going to do it again, assuming you're in a heterosexual relationship. The other, that is just dishonest. And so we really want to not start patterns of being dishonest. And faking sexual pleasure is a form of dishonesty. And again, I'm not judging anyone. I've done it myself. It just doesn't lead anywhere fruitful. So if we want to have a great sex life, it's got to be based in honesty and transparency and being able to say what we like. He's going to do more of that. We don't necessarily even need to say what we don't like so much, 
you know, unless it's something that we really uh, do not want to ever happen again. We want to set very clear boundaries. And so those conversations can be very positive if they're had in a very conscious manner. So it's important to do it when we're not triggered, when we're not too tired, when we're not grumpy, not in the middle of a fight, and at a time when we've been given permission by the other person. So let's just say that conversation has started. We've been able to talk about what we like. It's very rare that's going to be negatively perceived because everybody in a sexual encounter wants the other person to be pleased I certainly do. We want to please the other person, so we want to know what they want. And very frequently, even in very long-term relationships, we simply haven't talked about what we want. And so we have to take responsibility for that. If I haven't told my partner what I like, how on earth is he going to know? I mean, they're not born knowing this stuff, just like we're not. We also need to ask. This is so important. Ask your partner, what do you like? For example, ask your partner, what images do you go to during your sexual fantasies or when you're self-pleasuring? What images frequently come up for you? Because we all have our favorite images or scenarios or scenes or fantasies. And we can talk about that with our partner. For example, one of the guests uh, asked her partner what type of images he liked. And there was a specific type of lingerie that he preferred. And they went shopping for it. And she wore it. Um, and now they have a cute little thing that they do if she wants uh, or he wants a quickie. If anybody wants one, they call it high heels in the closet. <laughs> Is that cute? So she'll just say, hey, do you want to do high heels in the closet? And it's, it's just easy and simple. Now, why don't we do these things more often? One of the reasons that came up is that doing that is an act of generosity. And so approaching sex as an act of generosity, and that means giving something without the need to have something back. So just pure generosity is just giving. And you will, of course, receive something back. Not only will you have the pleasure of making the other person very happy, but whenever we're generous, it encourages the other person to do the same. But in that moment, the generosity is purely one way. We're just giving. And one of the reasons that came up why it's difficult to do that when we're younger, and this goes back to why sex can be better when we get older, because we've got some more wisdom. When we're younger, so sex in our 20s, typically, again, this doesn't describe every person, but it certainly does for me and many of the women that I've spoken to. In our 20s, sex is often about wanting something back. It's often about wanting validation that we're pretty, that we're sexy, that we're lovable. So we're, we're having sex, but we're doing it because we want to feel good. We want not just to have sexual pleasure, but we want to feel validated. We want to feel loved. It's often not coming from a place of wholeness, because let's face it, when we're young, we don't have that much self-awareness. And most people, especially if we're younger, are approaching life a little bit from a, a place of scarcity. And that is a common way to, to live, even at my age, from a place of not enoughness. Maybe something's wrong with me. I'm too fat. I'm too thin. I haven't quite found myself yet. So if we're living in a space of not enoughness, how can we be generous? I talked about that last time when we were talking about generosity. It's just impossible to give if we don't have enough on this side, right? So anything I give you, I need to get something back so that I'm not depleted. But as we get older and have a little bit more wisdom, self-knowledge, understand our innate worthiness and wholeness, which goes back to the why the sexually woke had a very high level of self-awareness, once we understand our wholeness and our abundance, then we can give without losing anything. So I can do high heels in the closet or whatever it might be, 
and not feel like I'm losing anything. I'm giving to you freely. And isn't that a beautiful place to be? So I was asking myself those questions like, why didn't I do that when I was younger? And I really felt like that was true for me because when I was younger, I very much lived in a transactional world regarding pretty much everything, but certainly about sex that, yeah, I'll do this for you. But the expectation was I would get something in return. So one of the reasons sex can be better, more connected, and more transparent, and all of those beautiful things is if we coming from a place of abundance, we can be generous because we've got abundance, right? So ask your partner what they want in detail. Go shopping for those things and, and do them. Why not? You're not losing anything to do that, of course, unless it's something that truly makes you uncomfortable. And then you get to do the same thing to say, oh, these are what these are the images that I like. These are the fantasies that I have. You know, I think all people, but especially women maybe in our generation, often have some discomfort around talking about those things, even with the closest person in our life. And so some of the things that came up were the ways in which our fantasies often are a complete disconnect from our real life. So for example, common fantasies about things like being overpowered or some type of uh, bondage or something of that nature can feel really uncomfortable to talk about because, of course, I don't believe that women should be overpowered or or any of those things. And so it can feel like a disconnect. But just remember, those are fantasies. Yes, and in my real life, I'm in charge all the time. I'm in control all the time. And that's one of the reasons why often our sexual fantasies have some of the opposite flavor. And there's nothing wrong with that because they're a fantasy. If you have fantasies about being overpowered, for example, and that was a very common one, so I'm just using that example, doesn't mean that you believe women should be overpowered or that in any way you would think that's okay in real life because it's a fantasy. But sharing our fantasies is okay. And, it, and you know, we've got to create a safe container to be able to do that and then to be able to listen to your partner's fantasies without being offended. Because what comes up a lot uh, when I talk to women about this is, you know, maybe our partner tells us they have a fantasy about something that's different than me. And so my very self-conscious part is going to be like, well, wait a minute, is your fantasy person younger than me or thinner or prettier or, you know, do you love her more than me? Or it's crazy. It's a fantasy. <laughs> so there is nothing wrong with either one of you admiring beautiful young bodies. You know, we're not going to act on that. But, you know, if I see a really handsome 30-year-old, I'm going to admire that. Now, I'm not going to have sex with him, but our partners get to do that too. And it doesn't threaten our relationship if we have that very deep self-awareness and we're coming from a place of wholeness. So those were some of the, I think, most important cute things that came up. And then we also shared a lot of fun things about sex toys. Now, sex toys are really a great way to learn how to pleasure yourself. Uh, so I highly recommend them. At the retreat, I, you know, I have a whole bunch now. I've bought all kinds of different ones. And there's lots of different ones uh, for lots of different purposes. And I encourage you to try them. Uh, because that way you can understand where you get the most pleasure and then you can teach your partner to do that for you. And you might bring the sex toys into your bedroom or you may not. Uh, I've found that many partners really enjoy that actually if they're uh, offered that experience. We also talked about what happens if that conversation is not met well. So, you know, maybe you've done your very best to open that conversation 
you've found the conscious time to do it, uh, you know, when you're not triggered and you've used the right language and it's met with, I don't want to talk about this. That might require some, a third party to help you through it. Or, you know, there are times where we're not going to get the answer that we want and that the other person is not going to be in that place of openness to possibility, self-awareness, and wanting to pay attention to the relationship. And if we're in relationship with another person, of course, it takes two people to make this change. So while overwhelmingly it is well-received, if it's not well-received, you know, it may be time to renegotiate that relationship, but it's worth a try. So with all of that in mind, I have absolutely found personally and with all of my patients and the wonderful ladies who went on this retreat that the best sex in life can be in the second half of life. Who wants to have the sex they had in their 20s? I mean, we might have had a lot of sex. I wasn't particularly present. I certainly wasn't doing it from a place of generosity. I didn't know very much about myself. I was really just sort of going along. And then sex in my 30s, personally, maybe earlier for some people, was really all about baby making. So it turned into being very goal-directed. And then I had kids, and so I was busy and tired. And then I had hormonal change. And so there were these different phases and stages to our sex lives, right? Very young, baby making, little break in there when we have kids. And I'm generalizing. This is not all of our lives. And then for many of us, hormone change. And so there are anatomic realities that go along with this, right? If we've got vaginal dryness because of estrogen depletion, and the clitoris is shrinking so our nerves are less sensitive, it's going to make it really difficult to have a great sex life. So we, we do need to address those anatomic realities as well. So as you know, hormone replacement is a great idea. We also talked about things like the O-shot and vaginal laser that you can see more about in other videos I've done here. So there, there is an element of addressing the anatomy, no question, because that's really important. To have great sex, we've got to have a very healthy mind state, which is frankly most important. And then we've also got to have healthy anatomy to support it. So we did talk about both of those, but it was very interesting that the great majority of the conversation focused on the mind state, because without that, we can get all the toys, we can do all of our fantasies, we can do anything, it's not going to be successful. The foundation to have the best sex life after 50 or at any age is those healthy mind state things that I mentioned. So being open to possibility, just being open to the idea that it is possible to change. A lot of self-awareness regarding our mind state and about how our bodies receive pleasure and then paying attention to it and setting some intentions to make this important. And that could be even scheduling sex or just having a conversation about it twice a week or whatever it is to keep it alive. Because when we've been in relationships for a long time and it's an elephant in the room, someone's got to address that elephant. Or like one of the ladies said in my book, that elephant in the room is going to trample all your plants. <laughs> it's true. And it's not easy to address something that's been an elephant in the room for years, but you can do it. You can do it. And I met lots of people who've done it. And I've done it. Uh, so just uh, some little tips and tricks about what I've learned about how to have the best sex in your life at any age, but certainly after 50. I hope you learned something today. I hope you enjoyed this. Don't forget to subscribe, share it with your friends, and I'll see you next week.